Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Greetings. Welcome to the NASCAR NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan. This will be a different episode of the podcast. First, there is no high-profile guest from the NASCAR industry or famous TV personality. This is likely someone you haven't heard of before, unless you were a regular listener of Sirius XM NASCAR radio about 10 to 12 years ago. There was a well-known caller who was known for his strong opinions and NASCAR knowledge. He went by the sports talk radio moniker, C-Payne. C-Payne was actually Chris Nicholson, a 48-year-old lifelong NASCAR fan from Hickory, North Carolina. And after working for more than 20 years as a long-haul truck driver, as many of the SiriusXM NASCAR channel's callers are, Nicholson stepped away from his NASCAR fandom and his livelihood for a little while. But he since has returned to both, and he's combined his longtime passion and profession as well. In February, Chris took a job as a truck driver for Champion Tire and Wheel, which helps transport tires and wheels, as well as air titans, golf carts, pit wagons, grills, and virtually anything that NASCAR teams need shipped to and from a racetrack. And so now Chris is traveling full-time with the Cup Circuit, which he returned to being a fan of last year as well. Now, as I said, this is a little different episode of the NASCAR and NBC podcast. It's not a straightforward conversation with a guest. It's more of an exploration of what that guest does through a conversation. I've been asked before about having a fan guest on the podcast. I'm open to that, but I also wanted to be a fan with an interesting backstory. I think Chris has one because he is part of what he calls the traveling circus that helps move NASCAR around the country each week. Hopefully you'll learn some things you might not have realized about NASCAR's tire and transit industry, as well as some perspective from an old guard fan who thought NASCAR had left him behind, but has since changed his mind. But let's pick up here at the beginning, as Chris explains his role. One of the reasons people like listening to this podcast, Chris, is because they like getting a behind-the-scenes view of NASCAR. They like hearing about maybe what some of the people who make this weekly circus work from week to week, what their roles are, and you certainly are involved in that. You've taken a job at Champion Tire and Wheel this year, a couple of months ago, and have been traveling the circuit since. So just tell us about, you know, first your title, your position, and, and what you do. Well, I'm a, a truck driver. I'm on the wheels group for a Champion Tire and Wheel. And basically what we do is in association, of course, with Goodyear, we take the mounted tires for your all three series 
to whatever track they're holding the race that weekend. We show up in our truck and trailer. Goodyear will take it from there with the unloading and disperse it to the teams. Our job mainly, the unloading process takes about six to eight hours once we show up. And uh, typically, that'll be like a Wednesday. So whatever travel day, depending on distance, we will have left probably Monday. We have a box group that comes in along with us, and they bring pit boxes, uh, the pit road crash carts for the teams, grills, tire carts, just you name it, cup team or Xfinity team or truck team wants it at the track. Uh, That's what we're for. It can be personal vehicles. Uh, We have taken cars out to california so a guy has a car to drive some drivers have uh, they collect vehicles and we'll bring them back to charlotte for them to after they've purchased them or what have you basically we feel any need any team has in logistics i'm still learning it all because <laughs> like i said i'm a driver i'm not a principal with the company so i'm still kind of figuring out what all we do yeah. uh, i've kind of gathered there's nothing we won't do <laughs> if it can help a team much of chris's job is devoted to at track activity In addition to helping Goodyear with delivery and collection of mounted tires during the races, champion workers also help set up parts of the NASCAR inspection station in a load-in that usually takes several hours. But Chris's primary skill is being able to pilot an 18-wheeler in tight spaces and treacherous conditions. During a 20-year career of commercial trucking, he had yet to encounter something as uniquely challenging as a pair of high-banked concrete tracks in NASCAR. Bristol and Dover uh, are kind of tracks that you're you're not going to run into at most driving jobs because you know they're even the tight spots the places out in the middle of nowhere they at least planned on the truck and trailer coming in there at some point in time. When you drive into Bristol or out yeah it's it's a challenge and it's a lot different. You're totally blind going into Bristol. You have to make sure they wave you on because they make sure the first guy's clear. But you're going straight down that bank, which is basically like driving off a three-story building. <laughs> you know, I guess it's the best best way to explain it. So as you dive down the banking, you cannot see where you have no idea where you're going. So you're kind of hoping you judge it right. You get to the bottom when it flattens out. As you head toward the pit wall, you make your left. And then you, the trailer comes down behind you, and you're going to get a moment there where gravity and physics and all that you're hoping are on your side and uh you know the the key is being real smooth you 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 can't make any sudden movements or you will be the guy that's going to make the news (laughs) you know you're you're gonna be on social media and it ain't gonna be something you want to be for getting out you can't have any hesitation getting out and it's the same way going up Uh, once you turn on to the track you can no longer see where you're going you have to be pretty much lined up at the beginning as you come out of that and you come over that big hump and come onto the blacktop after you've left the banking. Yeah, you're looking straight up into the stands. You got to make sure you had aimed at that crossover yes, gate. Yes, you, you have to be. You have to be right before you start it. Yeah. There's no fixing later. And if you hesitate, if you let off the gas, well, it's going to come back down. And then you've got to figure out how to navigate it by backing up. And Dover, uh, you go in by the casino and all that. That's kind of tight. And then you t- make a right turn down onto the track. And the banking's not a whole lot different than um, Bristol. But the problem is with Dover is once you get to the bottom next to the pit wall, it doesn't level out. So when you make your left turn and you've straightened the truck out, you're leaning with your head pretty much toward like the the, the uh, driver's side window because it totally feels like you're going to get a, go over. 
So you're, I don't know, you're close to 45 degree, I guess, because if you're looking out, like if I look out my right passenger window, you can see the pit wall. And I'm amazed, like I've done it now, but watching the motor coaches, those big multi-story, you know, motor coaches, and I'm riding behind them, and I'm like, that's a lot of money. If <laughs> <laughs> Even when he's at the track, there are some days that Chris spends all day behind the wheel, though much of it is just waiting. During last weekend's rain delays at Michigan International Speedway, Chris was at the ready as a driver in NASCAR's Air Titan fleet, making laps in the trucks used to dry the track. He served a similar role during race week at the Indianapolis 500, where trucks dispatched by Champion also were on standby for drying. It's an enjoyable job despite the downtime, and it also requires much attention to detail. It's, it's quite the job. If there's any on on track activity that day, Titan guys are there first thing in the morning. And heaven forbid there's been rain overnight, you'll be there at 5, 6 o'clock whenever NASCAR hollers. <laughs> you know, that's kind of what you do. You're pretty much chained to that vehicle. That's one thing people think about our jobs. We're enjoying the races and activities and all this. I see very little racing, Yeah. to yeah. be honest with you. Unless and you're a race a, fan. Yeah, I actually <laughs> like it. You even line the trucks up a certain way. We're supposed to stand in formation a certain way, like for the pre-race ceremonies and stuff like that, um, you know, because it's a, it's a big deal in how it's pr- in presentation, and if NASCAR's going to put their name on it, you're going to do it the right way. For the Coca-Cola 600 alone, five 18-wheelers were dispatched to handle the tire load for Charlotte Motor Speedway. Depending on the amount of tires needed, the gear being transported, and the track being visited, Champion travels about 30 haulers to every race. That's about as many haulers that are used to bring race cars and equipment weekly for teams, which makes Chris part of an important but largely unnoticed support network in NASCAR. The, the reason we're beneficial to the teams is they would have to have tip, a whole nother hauler. <laughs> you know, that's why we are cost effective. That's kind of how we refer to it is, you know, the circus, bringing the circus to town. And we're not noticed a lot, but if we weren't there, you'd notice it. It's been interesting to me to think about all the extra stuff. I don't know as a fan back in the day. I mean, I've been in the garage hundreds of times back before I ever had anything to do with uh, NASCAR as far as a working or a career. And I never really took it all in. I kind of like everybody else, the, the team stuff, the big flashy stuff I noticed. But now with our guys coming in, you got the TV haulers. You got guys who just work and bring in the, the uh, golf carts. You know, there, there's two or three or four haulers that just have nothing but golf carts. So that's been interesting to see. During races, Chris's job is to help collect tires from teams for transport back to a warehouse in the Charlotte area. And the frantic pace of the job increases with the intensity of the event. Uh, we meet up at the back of a trailer when the race starts. And we pretty much know we're going to be slow to that first pit stop. So first pit stop happens, here comes the tire guys. They're willing sets of tires to us. Now, on a typical race weekend, I think it's eight to nine sets of tires just for the race. So we're going to load all them. A trailer holds about 650 wheels and tires. So we're going to load them during the, during the race. They, they weigh anywhere from 60 to 75 pounds a piece, depending on whether they're a dual liner. So you throw them up into the truck, and then that guy rolls them forward and then you got people who stack them and depending on the size of the trailer we stack them anywhere from like seven to nine high what happens is it's not a steady flow it's kind of all at one time so they come out after every pit stop with 20 laps to go when they realize oh there might not be a pit stop or they just had to slap they're trying to get you all the tires they have now uh in that last rush you're probably getting 40 percent of your tires probably getting 600 
the part that you don't realize is when you go to loading this trailer and you're putting those tires in there that are 200 degrees you're putting 500 to 600 little ovens while you're standing in there and him for me at outside you know the one thing about these garage areas there's no shade everything's black top sun's bouncing off metals it's quite physical so much so like we have a fit for duty day coming up and we'll go through uh, calisthenics and these little programs we're going to push a peterbilt and make sure we're capable of doing our jobs i guess driving's very little driving is 30 percent of what we do and the other 70 percent requires a lot of labor for some long days at the track during a truck driving career that started with schneider national chris hauled virtually every kind of merchandise product possible and while sitting at paper mills waiting at sugar distribution centers or bouncing between grocery facilities he often had to do the unloading himself that was good training for his current job. Our laziest guy would be like the hardest worker at your place, probably. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I might be our laziest guy. I'm not saying anything. When you get a job like this, you kind of realize there's a whole different level out there, too. These guys kind of got to like to be where they're at because uh, it's not glamorous. I think that's one of the reasons uh, there is a turnover in this industry with drivers. They come in thinking they're going to be able to drive this pretty beautiful truck and everybody's going to love them and they're going to get to watch the race and there's going to be a little bit of work involved well the problem is it's totally opposite and this is the least driving i've done in a year since i've been a truck driver and i started driving in uh, 95 when you come into this job you kind of got to have that mindset that that the it's not the truck driver in you it's the worker in you that's going to make it i've been that way ever since i've seen the garage from back in the day these are some hard-working people overall. No lazy people get here. Everything from a tire carrier to a crew chief to the concession people that show up from track to track. These hard-working people, they got a lot to do. And you have people with expectations. They're going to expect you to work to their level. It creates a problem, I think, with retention. Um, even like our job, uh, you're contracted for a year, and then they reevaluate. You're not just here like at most jobs. As long as you show up every day, you're good to go. You're going to have to perform, and as long as you do, I guess you're okay, you hope. And uh, if not, they'll let you know. Just like working <laughs> for a team, right? I mean, right. They, they reevaluate all their pit crew and road crew members at the end of every season. Percentage of them don't come back. <laughs> yes, yeah. and, and that's the hard thing I think people don't realize, like the hauler jobs. You know, that, that looks great on paper and the pretty truck and everything. But those guys, too, I think they're connected as to how the team does, how the pit crew does. If you got there because you're buddies with the crew chief and you were his driver of choice, driving that hauler, well, I'd, you can probably assume that if he's no longer the crew chief of choice, you're going to be looking to. This job opportunity came at the right time in life for Chris, who previously had other offers in NASCAR, but had to decline because of family life. He now is single and just sold his house and sent a daughter off to college. He has the freedom to handle the grueling weekly travel, and he also has the passion for being in the garage. Having grown up in the racing hotbed of Hickory, North Carolina, home to the Jarrett family among many stock car stalwarts, Chris knows the ins and outs of NASCAR, from rooting for drivers and teams all his life. Working alongside them is a dream come true. He loves the job even though he rarely gets to watch the races at the track, because racing hasn't always been about racing for him. I think the garage is still a great place to be. I think the reason it works for me, even though I don't get to see the racing, is I'm a kind of different than most race fans. I'm not really a car guy. I'm a people guy. 
and I think I mesh with the people in the garage. I don't know to what level all the time, you know, but, <laughs> but, I, but I admire what they do. I think that's the one thing. The ones that I came in contact with when I was a fan with just some access through some people I knew were always good to me. Uh, when I asked questions, they answered them. Uh, I think that makes a lot of difference. Uh, I've noticed like walking through the garage, I'll have a guy stop me and say, you know, what air pressure do they start to race at? That seems like one of the most popular questions. I looked into it and got those answers because, you know, I don't want to be that guy's bad experience. I like the atmosphere of the garage. Uh, it has changed over time, but fortunately, um, some of the people who were here back when I was in it heavy are still here. Uh, so I get to talk to those people. It's all about a, adapting and change. It's not my NASCAR. You know, it's not the guys that I grew up with. They don't resemble me no more. They don't talk like me. They don't look like me. But it doesn't mean they can't be great. And so I kind of get into, it's like a new fandom in a lot of ways. Because when I mean, when I come into a garage, I had took like a, you know, six, seven year hiatus from NASCAR. I just didn't, I didn't watch it. I, did, I just uh, didn't wish anything bad on it. It's just I had been doing it for so long. I thought maybe like a lot of the fan base did, that it had kind of left me behind. I think one thing about coming back around is I realized it didn't leave me behind. It's like anything else. You kind of got to be open to change. Everything's going to change. If I could say anything to like just a regular fan out there that was like me, and I'm still just a regular guy. I'm a driver. I'm not a manager. I'm not a supervisor. I'm not a principal of the company. I'm just a dude walking the garage. <laughs> so, and I, I do whatever whoever's in charge tells me to do. But as far as the, the garage area, um, th them guys are not as different as we think they are, I guess is the easiest way to put it. Chris grew up a fan of David Pearson, Daryl Waltrip, and Jeff Gordon, whom he staunchly defended when he became a regular caller to Sirius XM in the late 2000s, as one of many long-haul drivers who have called the channel since its inception. Back in the day, it was probably about 80 to 90% of what they got was yeah. an over-road truck driver because we, we were the perfect uh, listener. Uh, we were sitting in the truck for 11, 12, 12 hours a day, and I could time my day by Sirius NASCAR radio. <laughs> I knew it would be the right. morning drive to trade and paint to, uh, you know, Moody show comes on Sirius Speedway. And uh, then that was pretty much the end of my day and time for me to go to bed. So, yeah, the, the Sirius NASCAR radio thing was fun. And uh, I definitely listen. I don't know that uh, me calling back in's the thing. Uh, I think sometimes, you know, you, you can't really catch lightning in a bottle twice. I enjoyed it. And I still have, you know, four million opinions. I don't know that in my advanced age, everybody needs to hear them. <laughs> Perhaps he will begin calling again if he finds a driver who stokes his passion the way Gordon did. Now that Chris has found his way back to NASCAR, he says he also is looking for a way to connect with its younger generation. I think these new crop of drivers, I think they've got more personality than they can show in a lot of ways. I think there's a lot of great kids from what I can tell. Um, I don't know that you can always put out there who you really are in today's corporate world. I wish they could convey that better. I don't know that they're bad at it. I just think it's, we're in my day. I knew who Dale Jarrett was because Dale Jarrett raced at Hickory and he came up and his dad was Ned Jarrett, you know, and Glenn Jarrett, you run into him at the gas station and I'd run into Harry Gant at the steakhouse, you know, stuff like that. So I had different connections and different ways to develop your fandom. I think nowadays, because they get on the scene so young, I don't know that they've had that time to develop the grassroots fan base like guys like me. 
So I found myself kind of into the garage. I'm not allowed to wear any gear or anything and look like a fan. But I still find myself, I'm going to pick me a driver. So I'm working on it. Thanks to Chris Nicholson for spending time sitting down for this episode of the NASCAR and NBC podcast. We appreciated his time and also appreciated his Twitter updates from Michigan last weekend. If you'd like to follow his updates from the road, his Twitter account is at Racing. That's at C-P-A-I-N-R-A-C-I-N-G. Thank you for listening to this episode of the NASCAR and NBC podcast. We will return next week with another guest that I think you will enjoy. It's Fox Sports analyst Daryl Waltrip, who of course will be calling the final race of his broadcasting career from Sonoma Raceway next weekend. I had the chance to talk to DW recently for a naturally long conversation about the NASCAR Hall of Famer's legacy, the biggest changes he's witnessed over 19 years in the booth, if he has any regrets, and also what's next. DW, of course, had a lot to say about all of that, and he's been a popular guest when he has visited this podcast before, so I hope you'll enjoy his next visit. The NASCAR NBC podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher. Please leave us a rating and review if you like what you hear. That really helps us spread the word. And as always, if you have any feedback, you can send to me on Twitter, at Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR NBC podcast. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash credit card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash credit card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash credit card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash.